Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 53 again this evening. We started um, teaching, uh, I don't even know how long ago, several weeks ago, uh, a series that we're entitling uh, Healing in the Blood of Jesus. And uh, we're, um, uh, as I have shared with you before, there's a, there's a book that was out of print for many years uh, written by Dr. T.J. McCrossan, who was uh, an outstanding, uh, one of the foremost Greek scholars of his day. The book was written in 1930, and, and I don't know when it went out of print, but while I was working with Brother Hagen in the early 80s, uh, he and Dr. Hicks, Dr. Roy Hicks, um, somehow got a hold of the rights. They both were familiar with the book and, and uh, knew what a blessing it had been to them in their ministries in uh, years past. And so they got the rights to, uh, to reprint the book, and they have, and you can still get a hold of the book um, through Brother Hagen's ministry. Um, the name of the book is Healing bodily healing in the atonement. And so we're, we're kind of going through the book and, and, uh, and taking some of the points that uh, Dr. McCrossin brings out and, uh, and examining them to, to in, indeed prove, um, not that I claim to be a Greek scholar, but he was, and, uh, and I can read and quote him. And uh, so we're, we're trying to establish, not only from, a, from an understanding, and, and uh, I hate to use the word common sense because too many Christians... Uh, think common sense is the way we're supposed to live, and the Bible says we're supposed to live by faith, not by common sense. But, uh, but nevertheless, that um, uh, we, we're trying to establish uh, from an understanding, a spiritual understanding perspective, that healing is a part of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, and, uh, and in some degrees, to some degree, uh, from a scholarly position as well, using Dr. McCrossin as, uh, as, our, as our guide. Now, in Isaiah 53, we'll look at verses 4 and 5, as a beginning point for this evening, everybody agrees. All Christians agree. All scholars agree. All denominations agree. Everybody that believes in Jesus agrees that the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is the Messianic chapter. In other words, it's the chapter that identifies what the Messiah would do. I say would do because Isaiah is writing to that which would be accomplished in the future. We certainly look back at what Jesus has done and what Jesus has accomplished, but Isaiah was looking forward and uh, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But it goes into some great detail. It tells us many things that, uh, that Jesus accomplished on the cross that, uh, that put together with New Testament scriptures, we're able to get a clear picture of what he did. So Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely, folks, I want you to understand there's only one time the word surely is used in Isaiah 53, and here it is in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains, our sorrows, the word griefs is translated sicknesses throughout the rest of the Old Testament. The word sorrows is translated pains. So let's read it that way. Surely, that means without a shadow of a doubt, surely he has carried our sicknesses or borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Now, folks, isn't it interesting with, his, uh, with his, as much emphasis as, uh, as the modern-day church puts on forgiveness of sins, Jesus went to the cross to forgive sins, isn't it interesting that Isaiah would be in, inspired and prompted by the Holy Ghost to write surely about the work of Jesus, not regarding sins, but regarding sickness? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking away from what Jesus did for our, to, to redeem us from, to, from spiritual death. I'm not talking or trying to take away in any way whatsoever the work that Jesus did regarding sin. But when it comes to the Bible showing us and identifying for us what the work of Jesus was, the only place that the word surely is used regarding Jesus' work on the cross has to do with sickness and not sins. 
It's almost like the Holy Ghost knew that there were going to be people in the body of Christ that would try to take sickness or healing, I should say, the healing work of Jesus out of the work on the cross. You think? Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our, disease, or carried our pains. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And again, Isaiah is looking to the future. We are healed. Peter quotes Isaiah 53, 5 and says, by Jesus' stripes we were healed. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, Peter is looking in the, that, looking at the same verse, but looking at it from a di- different perspective. Isaiah is looking at what the Holy Ghost is giving him to write to us, to, to, to prophesy about the work that Jesus would do, looking to the future saying, and with his stripes we were healed, or we are healed. In other words, healing will be available to us through the work of Jesus. Peter, after having seen Jesus go to the cross and being raised from the dead, turns around and looks back at the work of Jesus and says, by Jesus' stripes we were healed. Already done. Already accomplished. Now you know as well as I do that there there are major disagreements in the body of Christ about whether or not healing is a part of Jesus' work. Usually the way that it's spoken of is whether or not healing is in the atonement. Well, the atonement is an Old Testament work. You know, remember, for example, the Day of Atonement. One day every year, uh, the children of Israel had to bring a sacrifice to, the, uh, uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple, and the high priest had to take special pains and special care to provide for the, the slaying of that animal so that the sins of Israel could be forgiven for a one-year period of time. So it went for uh, forgiveness of sins lasted from Day of Atonement to the next Day of Atonement to the next Day of Atonement and so forth. Well, atoning means to cover up. The day of atonement was the day where their sins were covered. Well, what were those sins covered by? They were covered by the the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Literally a bull, but nevertheless, the blood of an animal. The blood of an animal covered the sins. Folks, the blood of Jesus doesn't cover your sins. You can't find the word atonement used. You can find one place in the New Testament where the translators or the King James English translates it atonement, but it's not the word for atonement. The New Testament word for what Jesus has accomplished is the word redemption. The real question is, is healing a part of the redemptive work of Jesus? Well, that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're trying to examine. Now, we know how Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. We know how he was bruised for our iniquities. We know how the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and we know how with his stripes we are healed took place. We know that all of those things were as a result of the shedding of Jesus' blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible tells us. In the Old Testament, sins could not be remitted. They could not be overlooked. They could not be covered over without the shedding of an animal's blood. Jesus, whose blood was sinless and spotless, provided an eternal redemption for us in that His blood was the price that was paid. But the real question, as I said before, is, is healing in the redemptive work of Jesus? Isaiah 53, 5 says it as clearly as possible. With his stripes, we are healed. So what's the objection? Well, many people say, well, that's not talking about physical healing. That's talking about spiritual healing. Jesus healed us spiritually. You can't find any place in the New Testament where the Bible talks about a spiritual healing. 
Now, I know there are preachers and, and ministers that will tell you all about spiritual healing, and it usually has to do with healing hurts in your past and emotional issues and stuff like that. And even Jesus said, some of them will say in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, heal the brokenhearted has nothing to do with emotions. The words that are translated into the English, brokenhearted, has nothing to do with emotions. It literally means heal the breach in spirit. Heal the breach in spirit. What breach in spirit is he talking about? He's talking about the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden that opened the door to sin and sickness to begin with. He's saying, I am anointed by the Holy Ghost to heal those who are sick because of the breach in spirit. That's what he's saying in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Or, I'm sorry, verse, yeah, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. That's what he's saying. That's what he's identifying. So there is no such thing in Scripture. I know in a lot of people's ideas, and you can find all kinds of psychology books and stuff like that will talk about healing hurts, and, and people try to put a Christian twist on it and so forth. But you can't find anything regarding spiritual healing or what a lot of people refer to as inner healing regarding the healing of emotions. You can't find it. It's not there. You just can't find it. So how, therefore, could we possibly say that by His stripes we are healed has to do with some kind of inner healing or some kind of spiritual healing if the New Testament doesn't back it up? And it doesn't. However, you can find some backup in the New Testament for Isaiah 53.5. We've already referred to one. Peter seemed to be of the opinion that by His stripes you were healed has to do with physical sickness, healing from physical conditions. Because that's exactly what he's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He says the same work of Jesus who hung on the tree. The same work of Jesus who hung on the tree, meaning the cross, was the work that caused the healing of your physical bodies to be manifest. We know that Peter's talking about physical healing because that's the very thing that he does in Acts chapter 9 when he comes upon a certain person that was impotent in his feet, literally he was crippled, and he said, Jesus Christ healeth thee. He uses the same words. He uses exactly the same phrase. He literally said, Jesus healed you. And the man stands up and walks. Well, if healing that Peter refers back to Isaiah 53, 5, quotes back to Isaiah 53, 5, if physical healing is not what he was talking to about, talking about to the man in Acts chapter 9, how in the world did the guy get healed? If Peter meant Jesus Christ healed you spiritually, how'd the man walk? If, he, if Peter meant Jesus Christ provided some inner healing for you so the hurts of your past could be taken away, how did the man stand up and walk? And it seems to me that if the same thing, if that's the position that some people want to take, why wouldn't it work today? Why wouldn't I or anybody else be able to say Jesus heals you spiritually? And then you could walk. Why wouldn't that heal cripples today? If it did in Peter's day, and that's what he really meant, wouldn't it still work the same way today? Oh, no, it doesn't work that way with the apostles being gone off the scene. They had that kind of power. Well, okay, forget about the apostles' power. What about Jesus? The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I couldn't care less about Peter. Peter messed up too much for me to follow. I want to follow Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus is the same and the work of Jesus is the same and inner healing or spiritual healing is what caused cripples to walk in Peter's day, if that's what he meant, why wouldn't it cause cripples to walk today? Don't find anybody arguing that point, do you? 
No, because Peter meant physical healing. When he said, Jesus Christ healeth thee or healed thee, he's saying exactly the same thing that he said in the letter that he wrote to us. By his stripes you were healed. The work of Jesus was already accomplished, and that caused the crippled man to stand and walk. Now, Peter had a lot of that, by the way. If you look at the healings of Peter, there were some... Uh, the, the uh, the healings that took place. There were some miracles. Peter raised the guy from the dead, for example. But there were some, the miracles that took place where Peter's healing was concerned had primarily to do with those that had crippling diseases. I don't know if he had something extra in that area or if it was the gift of faith in operation or what. It would certainly have to be the gift of faith in operation to raise the dead. So maybe that's what was in operation with, uh, with uh, Peter. That is what Jesus said he prayed for him about. He said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. So maybe he had a gift of faith in operation. I don't know. But I do know this, Peter was real sure that Jesus provided healing for the sick. And that's the reason why he ministered healing to the sick. Furthermore, so that's one example we've got. That's one witness we've got is Peter. You'd think he'd know. I mean, he was with Jesus, you know. He was there when Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. But, you know, let's don't trust Peter's idea or what Peter had to say about it. What about another example? Well, what about the Holy Ghost? Would you expect the Holy Ghost to give us the wrong information? Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 tell us about Jesus' ministry. And the Holy Ghost gives us a commentary on Isaiah 53, 5. It said, When the evening was come, they brought unto him, Jesus, many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Verse 17 goes on to say that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 5. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, folks, I want you to notice the connection that the Holy Ghost gives us. Now, I know that a lot of people have different ideas. I mean, after all, the Holy Ghost hadn't heard some of the modern-day preachers preach at the time that he told us this. So we should be fair. Maybe he didn't know what they know now. But it would seem to me that the Holy Ghost, who's infallible, in using Isaiah 53.5 in connection with the physical healing and physical deliverance of those that were brought to Jesus, the very fact that he makes that connection and quotes Isaiah 53.5 should be enough evidence for us to understand that it's talking about physical healing and not some kind of spiritual healing or inner healing. Well, the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We could give you more, but that's two. You got Peter, you got the Holy Ghost. We could take a third just real easily. Jesus said, the work that I do shall you do also. Well, what works did Jesus do? He went on to say, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. Well, going unto his Father can't take place until he accomplishes the, the redemptive work on the cross, right? Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and ascended unto heaven until after he did the work of redemption. And he said that at that time, when he went to his Father, you and I, his disciples, not just them, but all those that would believe on him through their word, that's us, he said we would do the same works. Now, didn't Jesus know that his works on the earth included healing? How in the world could Jesus make such a mistake? Why would Jesus, who's the Son of God, has to be infallible, why wouldn't Jesus catch himself and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you guys don't think I'm talking about healing, do you? No, you'll do the same works as me, but, but I just wouldn't even think, wouldn't even dream that you would be thinking that that includes healing. No, that was one of his major works. It said Jesus went throughout all the villages and cities villages and synagogues of the cities, and he said that he went and taught the gospel of the kingdom. He preached, or taught in their synagogues, preached the gospel of the kingdom, and healed all that were sick and, and diseased. Healed every manner of sickness and disease. 
It's a major work of Jesus' ministry. He said, the works that I do shall you do also. What does that mean? We can expect to teach like Jesus taught. We can expect to preach like Jesus preached. And we can expect to heal like Jesus healed. If he told us the truth. So there's three witnesses. We could give you many more. But again, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Yet some will still try to make excuses and twist scriptures around and say, no, it can't be talking about physical healing. And almost in, in almost every case, the reason is because of some experience that they'll look back at and say, I know of this dear saint of God that didn't get healed. And so they're trying to judge the Bible by experience. And folks, if you do that, you're not saved. I can prove it to you. You know why? Because if we try to prove salvation by the experience that we see in the Bible, you're not saved unless you got saved by the shining light on the road to Damascus, like Paul did. Anybody get saved like that? Anybody get saved because a shining light came down from heaven, knocked you off your donkey? Anybody get saved like that? If you're going to judge the Bible by experience, then why don't we judge salvation by Paul's experience? Find me anybody that's been saved in the same manner that Paul was. I've never heard of anybody that's had that kind of experience. Have you? Then at the very least, we could say it's extremely rare if it ever happened again, right? Well, then how can somebody claim to be saved like Paul was saved? Because experience is not the test. The Word of God is the test. We get saved all the same way, and that is by believing in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the way the Bible says to do it. And that's the way you did it and the way I did it. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to give you some additional proofs that healing is a part of the redemptive work of Jesus. Or we could say it this way, that healing was accomplished because Jesus shed blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing by the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul had some experience in the things of God in that he laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Now, he wasn't in part of Jesus' ministry. He didn't hear Jesus say, the works that I do show you do also. Some people will say, well, that only, that only belonged to the apostles. Well, how did Paul get it then? Paul wasn't in the room when Jesus said, the works that I do show you do also. He wasn't there for John chapter 14. If Paul knew anything about Jesus, we have no record of it. I would, I, I would assume, I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it either. I would assume that he heard some things about Jesus, but we never have any record that he was a part of any ministry of Jesus here on the earth whatsoever. None. We just know that after the fact, after the fact of the resurrection, Paul began persecuting the church. And he became the chief persecutor of the church. And that's the reason why Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Well, then how did Paul understand anything about healing? How was it that Paul was able to lay hands on the sick and they recovered? How was it that he was able to cast out devils? How is it that he was able to do the same works that Jesus did here on the earth when he wasn't part of the special group that Jesus said would do that? Well, Pastor Mike, Jesus appeared to Paul. Okay, then does that mean if Jesus has ever appeared to anybody else, they could do the works too? Well, you have a hard time getting somebody to admit to that. I saw Brother Hagin talk to somebody one time, and they came up with that. They said, that only belonged to Jesus and Jesus' disciples. And he said, well, what about Paul? Well, Jesus appeared to Paul and gave him that special power. Well, that was the crux of Brother Hagin's ministry. 
Jesus had appeared to him and put the finger of his right hand in the palms of each one of his hands and gave him a healing anointing. And so he stood right there and he said, then I can claim the same power that Paul claimed because Jesus appeared to me. Well, this woman turned as white as a sheet. I thought we were going to have to raise her from the dead. I mean, heart attack is on the way. She just turned as white as a sheet. She said, well, well I don't believe that. <laughs> he started laughing. He said, that doesn't bother me a bit. He said, I'm telling you the truth. He said, I'd go to hell for lying just as quick as I'd go for anything else. I'm telling you the truth. Jesus appeared to me. He said, I've got thousands of testimonies throughout my ministry that attest to the fact that when I laid hands on them, they were healed by the anointing of God. He said, ma'am, what you believe about it doesn't bother me a bit. I, I love the way Brother Hagin handled things. He wasn't unkind. He wasn't spitting in her eye. Now, I would have spit in her eye. But he wasn't unkind about it. He just simply told her the truth. Here's what it is. He said, if I said Jesus didn't lie to me or didn't appear to me, I'd be lying. What do you, have you ever heard anybody that said that Paul had that special power because Jesus appeared to him that then said, then goes on to say, so if Jesus appears to anybody today, then they would have the same opportunity? Oh, no. The same people that say the power went away with the apostles will say Jesus doesn't appear to anybody today. I don't know if you know this or not, but more Muslims are being saved by the appearance of Jesus nowadays than any other thing. Jesus apparently is not bothered by some people thinking he doesn't appear to folks. He just keeps on appearing. Amen? So what did Paul say? Paul seemed to understand something about this. Notice what Paul said. Paul, who, having, who, who in our experience at least, had a greater revelation of what belongs to us because of the redemptive work of Jesus than any other writer, said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse, eight, uh, verse 19. He said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Verse 20. For, I want you to get this, for you are bought. Why are you not your own? Why does your, is your body the temple of the Holy Ghost? Because you were bought with a price. Because you were bought with a price. Now the word bought is very interesting because it literally means to buy or to redeem. To buy or to redeem. Now what does that mean? That means an exchange is made. It means an exchange is made. For example, if you call a store, uh, department store or whatever, and ask them if they have a certain thing in stock, they said, yeah, we happen to have one. And you ask them, could you set it back for me? I'll be down to pick it up later on this afternoon. Sure, be glad to. Tell us your name, we'll put your name on it. So they stick it under the counter or they stick it in the back room or whatever with your name on it. When you go to pick that item up and to pay for it, you have just redeemed that item. And you did it through a purchase. You did it through a purchase. There is always has to be. There always has to be an exchange in order for a redemption to be made. That can be an exchange of money. But in Jesus' case, it was an exchange of blood. It said you were bought with a price. Well, what was that price? Well, Revelation chapter 5, the same word is used where the church is standing before the throne of God and the, and the, the elders speak up and say that Jesus is worthy to open the seals for he has redeemed us by his own blood. What was the price that Jesus redeemed us with? Well, when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, everybody agrees that it was his blood that was the redemptive price. Paul here, by the Holy Ghost, says that the same price that redeemed your spirit 
redeemed your body. The same price that bought you spiritually out of spiritual death and into spiritual life or into eternal life, the same blood that bought you out of spiritual death bought you out of sickness. For you are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. Let's keep reading verse 20. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. From a scholarly standpoint, from a Greek language scholarly standpoint, you cannot be honest and understand the Greek language and not understand that the same price, Paul is saying, the same price that bought you spiritually, bought you physically. One in the same. Not different blood, not different shedding of blood. He doesn't make the distinction between the blood that Jesus shed in Pilate's court where the stripes were placed on his back as opposed to the blood that he shed on the cross. It was all the blood of Jesus. And from a scholarly standpoint regarding the Greek language, every Greek scholar, Bible scholar that understands the Greek language has to, if they're honest, would have to agree that Paul is saying it's the same price for your spirit and for your body. Exactly the same price. Now, here's where they try to get out of that. They raise an objection by saying, well, but wait a minute. What about Romans chapter 8 and verse 23? Look with me Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. I want you to understand what the Bible says. I'm not trying to create a doctrine out of the things that I want it to say. Let's see what it really says and believe that. Amen? Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Notice what it says. Paul, same writer, same Holy Ghost who's inspiring him, says, without equivocation, without any doubt, verse 23, well, verse 22, we better start there. He says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. What he's saying is the earth is groaning ever since Adam and Eve caused the fall to come upon, the curse to come upon the earth in the fall. And the whole earth is groaning and travailing in, in, uh, uh, in pain until now. And not only they, notice the word they is in italics, it's not personality that he's talking about. He's saying and not only the creation, the earth is groaning, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, meaning the redemption of our body. Now let me ask you a question. How can your body already be purchased if it's waiting for a redemption? Easy. The answer is very simple. There's a different word used for redeem. The word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 or verse 20, where it says you're bought with a price, it means to buy or to redeem. This word means the setting free of something that's already been ransomed. And notice what he says. He says, even we ourselves groan waiting for the redemption of our body. What is he saying? He's saying, we, the spirit of man, and the body are both waiting for a transformation, a change, a setting free. When's that going to happen? That's going to happen when Jesus comes back for the church. What does the Bible say takes place when Jesus comes back to, for the church? Is that the point where you get saved? Of course not. You're already saved. Is that the point where you receive eternal life? No, you already have eternal life. The Bible says if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. How many of you believe in Jesus? That means you have it now. Well, then what happens when, you come, when Jesus comes back for the church? What happens? You are set free once and for all, spiritually 
and physically, once and for all, from the earth and the ravages of sin that's here. What changes? Our bodies. We receive redeemed bodies, and we, our spirits, go up to meet Jesus in the air. We are set free, loosed once and for all from that which was already purchased. What did He purchase for us? He purchased for us eternal life and left us here to enjoy it. But when Jesus comes back, we'll be set free from the left here part. We'll go with Him. That's what Romans 8.23 is talking about. It's not talking about some future physical redemption. You'll hear people say, well, when, when they go to heaven, they'll get their healing. Are you serious? There's no such thing as healing in heaven. There are redeemed bodies in heaven. There's no such thing as healing in heaven. Well, I'll get my healing when I go to heaven. No, you won't. When you get to heaven, you'll find out you didn't have to wait for it here. But that's a total cop-out. Well, when, when I get to heaven, and I'll, I'll escape all the pain. I'll escape all the other stuff. Well, that's true. But healing doesn't occur in heaven. If healing occurred in heaven, then God would be unjust to leave sick people here. In order to do the works of Jesus, we'd have to, pray, we'd have, to have healing lines and pray for everybody to die on the spot. That's not the work of Jesus. So the redemption that this is talking about, that some people use as a cop-out, this redemption literally means, the word literally means a setting free from that which was already redeemed or ransomed. Now look with me to another scripture. I want you to look with me over to uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3. Here's another place where redeemed is used. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 the Bible's talking about the work of Jesus. And it says, Christ has redeemed us. You see that word redeemed there? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, this is a third word that's used. All of them translated redeemed or, or some form of redeemed or something related to redemption. But this is a different word from either 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 and Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Different word entirely. This word redeemed literally means to purchase or redeem out from or away from. In other words, there's a special word that's used when the object of what you're redeemed from is used. And that's the, the, the way that the Holy Ghost inspires Paul to use it here. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. In other words, going to the cross. How do we know? For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So what's it telling us? It's telling us that there was a work of redemption that took place when Jesus went to the cross. Now what was that work of redemption? Well, in this case, the word that's used, again, means to buy from or buy out of or away from. So there has to be an object associated with it. And here it says, not just that Jesus bought us away from something, it tells us what we were bought away from. It says we were bought away from or redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, the only way you're going to know what the curse of the law is, go, is to go back to the law. You do that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is Moses telling the children of Israel one last thing before he goes off the scene. 
Joshua's about to take them into the promised land. They've spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and Moses is having his last say. And he says, remember what God told us. He said, this, these blessings will come upon those that are obedient to his word. But if you break his word, then all these curses are going to come on you. Now there are about, uh, uh, what, uh, 68, 69 verses in the chapter. The first 12, I think, 11 or 12, are these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. The rest of them, the 60 some odd that are left, or about 60 that are left, are all about these are the terrible things that will happen if you disobey. Now why in the world would Moses say that? Because he's been wandering in the wilderness with these rebellious people for 40 years. He is trying to encourage them by scaring the bejeebers out of them, saying this is exactly what's going to happen to you if you keep disobeying from this point forward. It's a new generation, but they learn from their parents. So he said, these are the things that are going to happen to you. And what does he do? He identifies sickness after sickness after sickness. He makes mention of 13 different categories or classes of sickness, and every one of them, he says, is a curse. Then he tops it all off in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 61, saying, and also every other sickness not named in this book of the law shall come upon you if you disobey. In other words, Deuteronomy 28, which not exclusively, it's not all about sickness. There, there are curses of, uh, of lack and poverty and children and family relationships and stuff like that. But, of, uh, but a, a great number of the verses in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 are the identification of sickness after sickness after sickness. And he says, these are the curses that will come upon you as a result of broken obedience to God's word. Now, what is Paul, who, remember, has been trained as a rabbi, which means he has to memorize the Old Testament. What we know of as the Old Testament, Paul had memorized. He had the same exact training as the high priest. That's why Paul goes back again and again and again and tells us, remember what the Old Testament said? Here's the fulfillment. Remember what it said here? Here's the fulfillment. Remember what it said would take place in the ritual sacrifice? Jesus did that. Over and over again. He's doing the same thing here. He says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. In the Old Covenant, the only thing that could redeem you from the curse of the law was obedience. But you had to keep everything just exactly right. And if you didn't, you had to make a sacrifice. And so everybody was making the sacrifice. Now, he says, Christ has redeemed us. He's bought us away from the curse of the law, which he clearly identifies by the Holy Ghost included sickness. Now, how could Jesus redeem us from sickness? Because it's written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. In other words, Jesus became your curse so that you didn't have to. Jesus became your sickness so that you could walk in health. Jesus became your sin so that you could have eternal life. Same work, same cross, same blood. One last thing I want you to see, and that is to, to prove that healing is a part of the redemptive work of Jesus. Well, let me, let me remind you of this. I won't have you turn to this. But uh, are any of you familiar with what the Old Testament said to do when a leper was cleansed? You remember the ten lepers that came to Jesus? Um, uh, Jesus told them, go show yourself to the priest. As they went, as the ten went, one of them, they were all healed, the Bible says, but one of them came back and gave Jesus glory, and he said, well, where are the others? Why didn't they come back and thank me for that? And, uh, and, and then he says, uh, tells him to be whole. It seems to indicate that something additional happened. I personally believe, I can't prove it, but again, it, it can't be proved or disproved either way by the Scripture. 
But from the, the way that Jesus said it, it's all, it seems to indicate that Jesus not only provided healing for this one guy, he had already received that, but when he says, go your way and be whole, it's like he replaced parts that had been eaten away by the leprosy. At least it's a possibility. At any rate, when he tells them to go show themselves to the priest, he's saying, go, feel, go fulfill the Levitical law for when a leper is cleansed. Now, when they start off to go to the priest, they're not changed. They still have their leprosy. But as they go in faith, just because of what Jesus said, obedience to the word of the Son of God, then their leprosy is cleansed. Now, what did they have to do when they went to the priest? Well, the leper, the, the information given about what had to take place when a leper was cleansed was very, very specific. Now, <clears throat> we can ask the question, why was it specific? Why did they have to jump through such hoops? It would be real easy because leprosy was a slow-moving kind of thing and, and people at different uh, conditions or, or uh, points of progression where leprosy is concerned, they could claim to be healed and not be healed and because it was such a, a contagious disease could put other people at risk. And so they had to be examined. I mean, the, the, the high priest, they had to strip down before the high priest. The high priest had to look at every part of their body. He had to examine to make sure that there was no sign of leprosy left or, or whatever. And then the leper had to provide two doves. One dove had to be killed over running water. And then the, 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 uh, the blood of that one would be collected. The water and the blood would mix and it would have to be collected in a bowl. Then that leper would be sprinkled with the blood, and then the second bird would be dipped in that blood and water mixture, and then the second bird would be set free. Now why? What does that mean? The Bible says everything in the Old Testament was a type and a shadow. The bird that dies is a type of the death of Jesus. It's the shedding of blood of Jesus. The bird that flies away toward heaven is the, is the type of the resurrection of Jesus. And both the death and the resurrection of Jesus were a part of the healing of the most contagious, the most deadly, the most dreaded disease among Israel. Why would God use Jesus as the example for the most terrible of all diseases to be healed? Because by His stripes you were healed. By the shedding of His blood you were healed. One last thing I want to give you before we go. You remember Exodus chapter 12? Again, the Bible says the Old Testament was a type and a shadow for us. In other words, what we see in the Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus in some way or another. You remember the Passover? The ten plagues are, are taking place. Nine of them have taken place against Egypt and Pharaoh. Every time Pharaoh <clears throat> says, no, I'm not going to let you go. Moses, I'm not going to let you take the children of Israel away from Egypt. Then he starts saying, well, all right, I'm tired of this stuff. Go ahead and go. And then the plague would stop and he said, oh, I changed my mind. And so finally, he says to Moses, <clears throat> one last thing. He says, if I ever see your face again, you're going to die. Moses said, well, you've well said. He said, because you'll never see my face again. Because God has told him there's one last plague that's going to come against him. And that's when the angel of death was going to pass through and the firstborn of Egypt would die. So what was the instruction given to Israel? The sacrifice of a lamb one per household. That sacrifice of the lamb, the blood was to be taken and put on the doorposts. Everybody was supposed to stay inside until or after midnight. At midnight, that's when the angel of death would go. By the way, folks, the angel of death is God's. 
Jesus said, The thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And I am come that you might have life and you have, might have it more abundantly. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that God did not, has not ever killed. He has. He used to in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, during the time of the church, God will take no action to destroy any person. But as soon as the church is gone, there's a lot of stuff that God does that kills people during the tribulation. He gives them opportunities. And that's the reason why the church age is a reprieve. It's a reprieve because the work of the church is to preach the gospel of Jesus, that He's our sacrifice. He's our substitute. He was made a curse so that you don't have to be made a curse. He suffered death so that you don't have to die. He suffered sickness on the cross. He was made sick on the cross, the Bible literally says from the Hebrew, so that you could walk in health. But don't make the mistake of thinking that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy means God never has destroyed anybody. He did, and always justly, always righteously. It was always a righteous action because people refused. How many times did Pharaoh say no when God proved, hey, I'm God? So finally judgment came. So the angel of death was to come through at midnight. So what were they to do? Well, they were to kill the animal, the lamb, and they were to put the the blood on the doorposts, both above the door and on the sides of the door. And then they were given instruction to do something with the lamb. They were given instruction to roast the lamb. Couldn't boil it, couldn't eat it raw. But you had to roast the lamb in fire, with fire, which signifies Jesus and his experience in hell to provide salvation for mankind. You had to partake or eat of the lamb. Now, if you had a small family, not enough people to consume the whole lamb, then you were to get other people to come in your household. And you were not allowed to keep anything over. If anything was left over, you had to burn it in the fire. In other words, every part of the lamb, the flesh of the lamb, the blood's already been spilled. The blood's already been applied to the doorpost. The blood is to protect them from death, which is a type of spiritual death. It's to provide them life as long as they're under the blood. The blood on the doorpost signifies or is a type of being under the blood. It means you're in Christ. It's a type of being in Christ. That blood's already been applied. So what good is the flesh of the animal? God told Moses to have the people gird their loins, get their shoes on, be ready to go, and eat the flesh of the lamb. Why? The blood's already done the work. The blood protects them from death. The blood provides them what is a type of eternal life. Why the flesh? The flesh of the animal is to be taken for the physical strength of the eater or the partaker. He said, be ready to go. Psalm 105, verse 37, in showing us the fulfillment of the Old Testament or showing us what the Old Testament type that was fulfilled in Christ was all about, says he brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble person among them. The flesh of the lamb that they ate on the Passover, which was a type of Jesus, provided not only physical strength, but healing for their bodies when they journeyed out of Egypt. How could you get anywhere from 5 to 7 million people? People disagree on what the numbers were. How could you get 5 to 7 million people and not have one feeble person in the group? Furthermore, the first time they get out in the wilderness and they come to the place where the water is, uh, is bitter, God gives Moses instruction for how to sweeten the water and make it pure for the people. God identifies Himself as I am the God that He let thee. From the original language, 
It could be accurately translated, I'm the God that healed thee, pointing back to the Passover. I'm the one that provided healing for you to come out. Now, how does that pertain to us? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Christ is our Passover. What does it mean? That means the blood provided some, provides something for us and His flesh provides something for us. Well, if Jesus is our Passover, if Passover is the type of the redemptive work of Jesus, what does everything mean? It means the blood provides the opportunity for us to be redeemed or bought out of spiritual death and His flesh is for the strength of our journey and our Christian walk. How could you conclude otherwise? If Jesus was our Passover, those that disclaim healing or doesn't deny that healing is a part of the redemptive work of Jesus, what's the eating of the flesh for? And what about them borrowing, literally, the word King James says borrow, literally demanding payment for the time that they were in bondage? What about the material possessions, the silver and gold they came out with? What does that mean? The Bible says Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. The taking of the jewels, spoiling of the jewels of the Egyptian was all a part of, of God telling Moses, here's what I want you to do because the angel of death is coming tomorrow night. That's when they borrowed the silver and gold and the jewels from their, their neighbors. That's when they roasted the lamb and ate it for the strength of their journey. Folks, how could the Bible say over and over and over again, referring back to the Old Testament types, everybody understands the Old Testament types, how could those Old Testament types not be fulfilled by Jesus to include healing where time after time after time after time it refers to Jesus being the one that redeemed us from these things? Anybody that's scholarly enough to know the language and honest enough to admit the truth has to conclude that healing is a part of redemptive work of Jesus. You can't separate healing from the forgiveness of sins because the same blood did the work for both. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is true. Thank you that you provided healing for our physical bodies. Lord Jesus, we know that you paid an awesome and an awful price for us to be healed. And where others take it lightly and treat it as it is less important than the blood you shed for the forgiveness of sins, we recognize that if it had not been important, you would not have paid the price. If it had not been important, you would have not gone through the awful, terrible beating that you suffered on our behalf. But just as you were our substitute for the forgiveness of sins, thank you that you are our substitute for sickness. Since you bore our sickness, we need not bear it. Since you carried our pain, we need not carry it now. Lord Jesus, the Holy Ghost said through the Apostle Paul that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed. That means to fail to receive. That means to be left without the answer. Therefore, just as we called upon you to save our spirits, to redeem us from spiritual death and enter us into eternal life, we call on you for healing. In the name of Jesus, we call on healing for our physical body.
If you need healing for your physical body, I want you to reach your hand out now. Just reach it up toward heaven like you're taking hold of something. Father, we call these hands that are raised are people that are calling on the name of Jesus. We call upon the name of Jesus for healing. We thank you, Father, that we shall not be ashamed because you took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. We declare, say this after me, we declare healing in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I'm healed now because of the price that Jesus paid to purchase not only my spirit, but also my body. Therefore, from this day forward, I will glorify God in my spirit and I will glorify God in my body by walking in divine health. So be it. Amen. 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 Let's all stand together. Now I want you to lift your hands toward heaven. I don't know if you feel anything. doesn't matter if you feel anything. But I want you to lift your hands toward heaven as if what you just said was exactly true and is already done. Oh, thank you, Father, for healing. Thank you that it's done. Thank you that you accomplished the work on the cross. Thank you that the work of redemption is already done. And that work of redemption includes healing for each and every one of us. Thank you, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that health permeates every cell of our being to drive out sickness and disease, to affect a healing and a cure in us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, we declare and give you thanks that we are now healed in Jesus' name. From this point forward, a supernatural recovery takes place. From this moment forward, a supernatural recovery in the name of Jesus takes place in our bodies. Thank you that it's so, Father. Simple faith in your word. Simple faith in the word of God. Hallelujah. 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 Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Your word is true, Father. Your word is true. We are healed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say it with me. We're healed. healed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.